0: Welcome to the Jason Timp Podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your Friday to come hang out with myself and with Vinay. How you doing, man? Thanks for jumping on
1: today. Jason, I'm very honored to be part of your show yet again. Talk some Lakers. Talk about this MVP stuff. Uh, I hope you're doing well. I've seen you very active on the timeline this week, Uh, you know, having conversations about the MVP stuff, but I'm doing good. Looking forward to the weekend.
0: Yeah, I was uh, venting to you a little bit before we got started about how I need to do a better job of showing a little more self control because I get I, I'm I'm easily riled up with this kind of stuff. Um, but like like I told you earlier, I'm going to turn 30 this year. Maybe this is the year that I finally uh, learn how to how to stop myself. Uh, but we're going to talk about the MVP for a little bit. Uh, we have a uh, three or four like interesting Laker topics that I've been uh, mm-hmm. wanting to bounce off of you and uh, kind of get your opinions on. And then if we have some time at the end, we're going to bounce around to some other teams. And as usual, guys, if you have any questions, drop them in the comments. And if we have some time at the end, uh, we'll take them. But so uh, to kind of frame the the MVP debate, you know, really quickly, I just want to lay out what I think is the basketball on-court case for LeBron to be where he is in the MVP debate right now. And uh, I think that's important because once again, just like last year, there are all these people coming out of the woodwork and... Uh, You know, trying to make the case that this is a narrative type of conversation or that this is some Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, lifetime achievement award and make it not about basketball with LeBron, which is exactly what happened last year when he got into the conversation. And of course, I think that's completely dishonest. So I want to lay out the basketball case and to make it really simple. The one seed in the Western Conference is immensely important this year. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the Utah Jazz turned out to be so good. There's like two bona fide contenders beneath the Lakers that uh, that they're going to have to deal with in the West. And so getting the one seed is the difference between having to beat two of those guys in the playoff run and having to beat one of those guys in the playoff Mm -hmm. run. And then the second part of that is the fact that Anthony Davis has been hurt because of Anthony Davis's injury. And because some of the cold shooting that the Lakers have been dealing with after LeBron on the roster, they haven't been a very good team this year overall in terms of their talent. Now, that's not Anthony Davis's fault. He's just dealing with an injury. He'll eventually come back to form. I think we all agree with that. But this isn't some juggernaut roster that we expected coming into the season because of some of those issues. Mm -hmm. And LeBron has taken that challenge personally because he knows how important that one seed is. When he's on the floor, they're plus 13 per 100 possessions. When he's off the floor, they're minus 3 per 100 possessions. And even when AD and Dennis Schroeder are on the floor, they're minus 3 per 100 possessions. So LeBron Mm -hmm. knows, I have to be out there in order for us to win these games. And he knows if he sits out, it could potentially put them in a situation where they have to beat both the Jazz and the Clippers. That's why his availability matters. And it is something that he has taken personally, and it is something that absolutely factors into uh, a case for MVP. As far as the numbers go, that's the most common thing you'll hear is, you know, Kawhi's got more points per game or Joel Embiid has more points per game. And what I would say is, like, it's very important for us all as a basketball community to kind of understand the fact that that the, the counting stats aren't necessarily what they used to be because of some of the crazy stuff going on with the way mm-hmm. offenses are run these days. 16 players in the NBA right now are averaging over 15 points per game. In 2015, that was four. Okay, mm-hmm. So it's very clear that the, the averaging somewhere between 25 and 30 points per game doesn't necessarily mean the same thing that it used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a lot of that has to do with pace. A lot of that has to do with just the way that these offenses are structured. But the question is, are you scoring? Yeah. all LeBron, Kawhi and Embiid are all scoring the basketball and they're all doing it efficiently. Right. Right? And a handful of points per game here or there, or a handful of percentages in the field goal percentage isn't going to make up that much of a difference, especially when you factor in the fact that LeBron is five times the passer that both of those guys are. Right. I just I just think it's important to remember that, you know, because of how important this regular season is for the standings, if the Lakers happen to hoist the trophy at some point, what LeBron is doing right now, trying to float this thing while guys get healthy, trying to float this thing while they try to find their legs and get their rotations figured out. It's immensely valuable to what they're doing. And it's a real on court basketball case. He's scoring the ball. He's playing point guard like he's CP3 and he's defending at an extremely high level. And 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 it's been completely glossed over. As a as a dishonest attempt to try to, to to pretend like he doesn't belong in this conversation,
1: yeah. So so I think um, I think the MVP conversation is I think what you said at the very beginning is is very similar to um, what's going on this season. There's you know a very clear cut candidate um, on on one side of the spectrum uh, with Joel Embiid, who certainly has probably one of the best uh, so far through this season candidacies for uh, an MVP. Um, especially with them leading, with you know, with the Nets being like this super team, basically, and you know, with the Bucks also loading up for the Sixers to be at the very top, um, that is definitely something that that warrants that conversation. He's having a great season, um, scoring, rebounding, assisting. The team looks better. The roster construction around that team looks better. A lot of good things that come out of the Sixers. Um, but I think that the I think a pattern that I saw last season, which is a pattern that I see this season, is that it seems that as though uh, national media coverage. Keeps pitting these MVP conversations into the LeBron and then the anti-LeBron uh, candidate. It's never. It's uh, you know I I know that the NBA does like the the MVP ladder and they do all this stuff and then they have crazy swings on those ladders. Jokic for was like a, a, a number seven rank on that and then after one week he skyrocketed to like the very second spot or something outrageous. And for the Warriors fans, because I know you do have Warrior fans who listen in on this, they're doing that intentionally with Seth by keeping them at the very bottom of that because they know that you're going to get mad about it. And so, like, my advice to them is don't get mad about it. Like, the, the, if you're looking at national media conversations about MVP stuff, their goal is engagement. Their goal is not a real basketball conversation. And, you know, I tweeted, tweeted this the other day. Um, I'm just I, I I don't like getting in the conversations anymore about MVP stuff because it's not about basketball anymore. There's a basketball case for Joel Embiid to uh, be the MVP. There's a basketball case for LeBron James to be the MVP. Last season it was the same thing. Giannis had a great case to be the MVP, and LeBron had a great case to be the MVP. Forget the narrative stuff. Forget Kobe's tragedy. Forget all that stuff. There was a basketball case for LeBron to be an MVP last year. He didn't win it, but he got some votes. Cool, whatever. It's the same thing now. And the part that I, that's frustrating and the reason why I don't get into these conversations, and I know that you get frustrated by this too. We talked about this off, offline. Um, is because people just want to, they're like, oh, God, this is a narrative-based thing. But then they use the narrative-based stuff in their arguments when they're arguing. Like, if you're going to make, if you're going to say that there's basketball cases on both sides, then at least argue that. You know what I mean? Like, talk about the plus minuses. Talk about the fact that LeBron is shooting for over forty percent, which is something I don't think he's ever done in the regular season like uh, before. Like his shooting percentages are looking really crazy. The Lakers are winning even with Anthony Davis out. As a Laker fan, I can objectively tell you Anthony Davis has not been good this year. Like he's not even good to his own level. And I know that you know injuries are a part of that. Um, any astute Laker fan is going to tell you that he hasn't looked like he's like in shape. He hasn't looked like his conditioning is right. Well, LeBron looks like a finely, you know, fine-tuned machine, and he's still rolling the same way that he always does. And that's his MVP case right there. The Clippers are better. The Jazz, like, uh, better compared to last season. Their roster is better and and their coaching is better. The Jazz are healthy. They look great. Denver started off a little bit slow. They lost Jeremy Grant, but now they look really great. Jokic is playing really great. There's a lot of great teams in the Western Conference, and we, we can see that in the disparity when we look at, like, I think like the eighth seed, or the in in the Western Conference would be like the third seed in the Eastern Conference, or something like that. It's very competitive. So your case of your example of like, hey, the Lakers are still the number two seed right now. That's a big deal. Like, came it, back it's, a one seed. Yeah, and and with and, and that's, roster, yeah. right, and then so that, that's not something that you can just excuse. And um, I think the problem with these MVP cases or these conversations is it's always turns into a this guy and then anti this guy or turns into this fan base and anti this fan base, as opposed to just talking about the field of play. And I think that's the part that I don't like. That's the part. That's the reason why I don't get in those conversations, but you're right. I think there is a basketball case for LeBron to be um, uh, an MVP candidate. Does it mean that he get, he earned it over Joel Embiid? No, because we're only like, we're less than 30 games into the season. Let the entire season play out. Right. Last season, when we got about to the, to the midway mark, before the Lakers got a chance to play a second game against the Bucks, people had already decided that Giannis was going to win the MVP. It was, it was a foregone conclusion, right, that he was going to win. And, and one of the biggest things that I kept hearing um, when it came to both his MVP candidacy and his defensive player candidacy, the player of the year candidacy, because Anthony Davis was the guy who was supposed to be competing for that uh, award with him, was all the advanced metrics that were attached to Giannis and how good they were. And when people tried to make, including myself, tried to make a basketball case that the teams that he, and I think you actually said this, that the very bad teams in the East are really, really bad compared to the very bad teams in the West not being as bad as the teams in the East, inflating some of those advanced metrics. And their, and their division
0: was terrible. So they were basically, in particular, they were playing every team in their division four times and beating them by 20 to 30 points every right. single like, time. It was like a chipper shredder that just messed up all their advanced metrics.
1: Right. And and so, you know, my argument, so I had the same argument. And I understand folks saying, look, it's not our fault that other teams, you know, I, I completely agreed with Bucks fans saying, look, it's not your fault that other teams can't get their, you know, get their crap together and then put competitive teams. That's not Giannis's fault. But that's like, but but the argument that I think we were trying to make was at least level, like, at least take that advanced metrics part of the conversation out. If you can acknowledge that the teams that, 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 that he's beating up on are much worse than the ones that the Lakers are beating up on, then at least it, it levels the conversation out. And I think, like, for me, like, towards the end of the season, my thing was just, like, um... My thing was, if LeBron's not going to win it, it should be a closer vote than the way people are making it sound. And I think that's the same thing that I'm trying to say now. That Joel Embiid, if I had to pick an award right now, like if I had to pick, I wouldn't mind giving it to Joel. I'd have no problem if he won. If he wins it, Lakers don't have a one seed. Um, LeBron, there's voter fatigue behind him. I understand if he's not if he doesn't win it, and Joel's carrying a team that wasn't expected to be as great as the Nets or as the Bucks or or, or the, even the Heat, you know. Um, and so. I understand him getting it. But the way that folks talk about it is like, there's this vast chasm of, of difference between these two guys. And it's just not that way. If you watch the game, LeBron has strengths. He has weaknesses. Joel Embiid has strengths. Joel Embiid has weaknesses. We just watched them lose last night to the Portland Trailblazers. blazers. Some of that stuff was in Joel's hands. Some of that stuff was in, you know, his teammates hands and stuff like that. But That's just how the game of basketball works and and people have to start, you know, if you're going to have these MVP conversations, make a basketball case for it. Don't give me a metric based case because metrics don't necessarily, um, what's it called? They don't necessarily display or accurately represent exactly what's happening because if you're going to use a metric based case, then I'm pretty sure I can make a solid case for Steph Curry. I can make a solid case for Bradley Beal. I can make a solid case for Zach Levine. There's, I can make a solid case right now for Jimmy Butler that Jimmy Ball should be the MVP because the heat looked terrible without him. And when he plays, they can't, they just keep winning. So that that's my thing. Like people got to start, like, let's talk basketball, man. Like we, we got to stop doing this thing where it's just like, we're, we're arbitrarily picking stuff to, to fluff up our guy and stuff like that. And so that's my thing. Um, but I do, you know that my, that's my long rant, but I do agree with you. I think LeBron has a great case for an MVP this season um, especially considering all the factors, you know, Anthony Davis not playing or not playing well at all, him having to integrate this roster of new guys in um, and they're still winning games. And um, look, there was a lot of conversation in the national media about the Lakers defense not being good because they lost Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee who are somewhat successful in, in their new, new stops and stuff. like that. and, and be- the Lakers are still winning. Mm-hmm. We did the same exercise last season when everybody told us, Oh, Lakers are playing too big, there's no spacing. There's no way that they're gonna win games. And then they they were ripping off like seven, 10 game win streaks and stuff like that. At some point, we have to stop with this with the nonsense, right? Like enough with the LeBron anti-Lebron stuff, enough with the like Lakers anti-Lakers stuff. Let's talk about basketball. Or else what's going to end up happening is that all the same people last season that spent the whole season picking the Clippers then picking the, the Blazers, then picking the Rockets, then picking the, the Heat, all the people who kept trying to pick different teams every single time, you're going to end up doing it two years in a row. Because if the Lakers you know, beat the expectations like they did last season, they have a solid shot at another championship. And if they win another championship, that's two years of your life you've wasted arguing something that you, you already knew was disingenuous from the beginning. And mm. so that's my thing. Like If we want better basketball conversations on Twitter, man, like, let's talk basketball. Enough, enough with this stuff you're a basketball guy I'm a basketball guy like let's talk about basketball i don't I don't win a, you know I'm not interested in winning arguments over a technicality because you use the word clutch and you didn't use the word fourth quarter that's my thing and mm-hmm. um it it's it's just that's my stance I think LeBron has a really good case and um look if they keep winning and Anthony Davis is out longer and longer it's gonna get hard for you to say that that he doesn't that, that he doesn't have a case and um yeah, that's it, man. That, that, that's, that's my like biggest stance in regards to like the MVP stuff. I'm not, there's a lot of great, great players in the league. This is a great season. Outrageous shooting. Uh, it's crazy how many 50, 40, 90 scores are. There are a lot of MVP candidates. But in the end, the differentiator is who's winning games. Um, you can't put Nikola Jokic above Steph Curry if they have the same record. It, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't work. The, one guy doesn't have a better case than the other. You got to look at like the top three teams, figure out who the best player on that team is and give that guy MVP looks. That's how the way the award is supposed to work, in my opinion. And that was one of the big things that I was pointing out when I would talk about it with people. Is I, You
0: know, when I when I would make a case, I would uh, and I did this last year when I made LeBron's case. I pointed to clear, obvious, you know, a uh, precedent for how we used to choose the award. We used to always choose the award based on three things, kind of like a combination of who's the best player in the league who's the best player on the best team and who's Mm -hmm. been the most valuable, meaning like how much of a drop-off is there when they're they're not on the floor. That's always been the way that we've done it. And there have been years where certain categories were weighed a little bit heavier than the other, but it's Mm -hmm. always all of those things. And and then there are other things we value. We value, you know, uh, like what your availability was. And and Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. always been factored in. Almost every MVP debate has been like, you know, there's been a year, I think it was uh, 2017 or uh, 2016, where like, uh, LeBron missed eight games and the Cavs went 0-8 and it, it hurt him in the MVP debate not because they were bad without him but because he wasn't available during mm-hmm. those games and there were players who played more and it's it's always been part of that but you know it, it bothered me because we we checked in on the debate that was what we did we did the same thing we do every single year you know about the fourth quarter uh, fourth a uh, fourth of the, of, the of the season a third yeah. of the way through the season halfway through the season we always just kind of hey how does the MVP debate look you know and it was like we looked in and it was like you know, we have uh, three guys at the top. You know, Kawhi, LeBron, and 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 uh, Joel Embiid, and then there are a couple guys that are that are on their heels. Like it was never a "this is over right now" kind of thing. It was yeah. we were just we were just ta- we were just checking in on it, and all that. You know, and this has been the frustrating part about it. Like no one, no one ever even considered the idea that Kawhi or Joel Embiid were in the debate for any reason other than basketball. But right. for whatever reason, when it comes to LeBron, when his name gets brought up in these conversations, there's always this massive push that it's like, that it's like, that it's like a, a fake case, that it's this, this strictly propaganda fueled case. And it's yeah. ridiculous because if you look back, there's never been a time that LeBron uh, won the MVP when he shouldn't have. In fact, there, it's far more likely that you might be able to make the case that he should have won it in a particular season. And he didn't then the other way around. So whatever you think there is in terms of media bias, right. that is, that is putting LeBron into conversations. He doesn't belong in that hasn't happened. So right. it's, it, it's, it's dishonest from the start. and And that's, what's so unfortunate because LeBron, you know, Literally jokes before the season that he's going to to not even show up to the first month of the season. He's joking, but he says he's not even going to show up because he needs some rest. Yeah. And instead he shows up and completely attacks both sides of the ball and leads a, a, a damaged, like injured roster mm-hmm. to uh, within a half game of the best record in the league. And then his name gets brought up in an MVP debate, and here come all these people trying to say that it that it's there that it's there for the uh, some sort of propaganda uh, based reason. And that that was the only thing that was frustrating to me because, like, you know, uh, uh, I feel like when I approach these kinds of things, and we you and I talked about this before uh, we went live, but I feel like when I talk about these kinds of things, I try to take a moderate approach. You know, like I'll be like, you know, I think LeBron's better than Steph Curry. I don't think Steph Curry has ever really had a claim to best player in the world. However. Yeah. I think he. I think he's been top five consistently since 2013, and as of right now, I think he's the second best player in the world. Like that would be like my completely reasonable, moderate opinion for for why I think LeBron's better than Steph. But what I get back in return, like I heard from people yesterday, yesterday that LeBron hasn't even been in the top five of performance performers this year. (laughs) And it's like, like what can I even, you know, what what common ground are we going to find when I'm trying to approach this from a position of reason? And you know, rational, like kind of like uh, like a to try to find common ground. And you're over here t- telling me the guy sucks. Like I just I can't find common ground with you I- I- in that regard. And and I-, I just am frustrated for for LeBron's sake because like this is literally the first time since 2013 that he's had a bona fide pole position on the MVP award through a third of the way through the season because he's mm-hmm. usually a late season guy. Yeah, right, right. He's a guy who makes a late run, and this is the first time he's had a real opportunity to 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 say that he's in first place at this point in the season and it's literally just caused the basketball world to descend into chaos and it, it's ridiculous
1: right and, and i and i get it right like i i understand that like let's separate out nba twitter uh which is crazy in itself and, and national media i understand why national media does it okay like they're not going to do real basketball house. nick wright skip bayless shannon sharp uh rachel nichols whoever like you know uh Uh, Nick Friedel, whoever else that they have, even the basketball guys, the Channing Fries, those guys, those guys are not on those shows to do basketball analysis. They're not interested in that. What they're interested in doing is maximizing engagement and response from cat. Yes. They are interested in entertainment. There is a reason why Zach Lowe gets on there. It sounds boring sometimes when he says it, and then he's off. It's a reason why certain guys are always constantly invited over and over again, because they will take, they're willing to take, Extreme positions in order to and and extreme positions and and criticism from NBA Twitter because they know they're going to get retweeted they know they're going to get quote tweeted with people calling them a dumbass or calling them whatever it is the reason why they do all that sort of stuff is so that they get the engagement that ESPN needs and what ends up happening is the quality content like Zach Lowe will get moved behind a paywall because the people who are generally interested sorry genuinely interested in basketball will pay money to ESPN. To go read his articles, <laughs> whereas all the extremist clickbait people are the ones that are out there for free because they're monetizing engagement. And the and and my last thing that I have to say about this is what what's you know when I first joined Twitter, I came into the conversation like I joined hoping to have productive conversations, and what I learned is that the productive conversations only come from certain folks. Okay, and um, this is what I was telling you offline that. You have to find the people who have productive conversations uh about basketball, who talk about basketball stuff. And you have to just you have to accept that not everybody's on Twitter for that. Some people are on there to argue, man. Some people like to argue about hoops. And I'm not talking about barbershop guys, because even I like doing barbershop nonsense and stuff like that too. But there's people who genuinely just get on there. They love their players, you know, they love their favorite player and 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 whatever it is, and, and they're gonna root for them no matter what. They're gonna ride for them no matter what. And that's fine. Like, I I don't have any problem with that. That's what you're on Twitter for. That's what you're on Twitter for. That's cool. But I'm just going to mute you because you keep showing up on my timeline because people keep trying to dunk on you because you're taking extreme positions over the player that you like, whether it's LeBron or whether it's somebody else. It doesn't matter. So I just mute you and I continue. But the people who have real basketball conversations, those are the people I'm going to engage with. And I think – I've noticed this also in your case, which is another thing I've told you all about. I think you genuinely want to have good basketball conversations with folks, and you keep getting looped into the extremist positions at times. And that's the exercise. If you, want to talk, if you want to engage with NBA Twitter in a productive manner, you have to stop engaging with extreme folks. I'm not saying you're doing that. I just think that like people take positions and stuff like that. And so that, that's a hard thing to call. And, and look, Skip Bayless is cashing checks off of this action. Nick Wright is cashing checks off of this action. As long as they can keep taking extreme positions and people on NBA Twitter keep responding in extreme manners, they make money and we don't. And that's the problem. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I've always seen people say that NFL Twitter is better than NBA Twitter. Well, NFL Twitter is better because they talk about football, Mm. right? They don't talk about other stuff. You know, like they talk about MVP and stuff like that, but they talk about football majority of the time. Not about not about who's going to win this award and all that sort of stuff. So you know, and obviously football is a little bit of a different sport. Uh, yeah, and I think that's, what, that's
0: what helps is that it that that it's so uh, team oriented. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, I think we could put the MVP debate to rest for at least a couple more weeks.
1: Uh, yeah, man, let, just it, just let it let it breathe. Let it let it breathe, <laughs> man. Let, let us get through at least. We don't even know what the second the second half of the schedule of freaking looks like after these next like six seven games. So. Just but if the, jazz, if the
0: jazz lose tonight and the Lakers win, I will absolutely be going out of my way to, <laughs> to point out the very simple fact that this this team is at the in the pole position. Uh, but we're gonna talk some Lakers and we're gonna talk some actual basketball Let's do and, it. We're, and we're gonna start by by talking about the Laker offense because one of the interesting uh, phenomena that's hap- uh, phenomena that's happened this year is that uh, the Laker defense has has gotten better than it was last year. Mm-hmm. And yet with the influx of offensive talent, their offense has actually regressed uh, regressed for the season. I believe they're e- either seventh or eighth, but in their last 15 games, they are 18th in the league in offensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have a, a, a theory about this, but I want to get your point of view first. Why do you think the Lakers have been struggling to score so far
1: this season? So um, I think some of it has to do with integrating the new guys. Um, there are, all of the most uh, important offensive role players, which is Dennis Schroeder's position, with, with him replacing Rondo, um, Wes Matthews up and down play, uh, Montrez Harrell playing the, playing the center position at times and stuff like that. I think that has the learning process with that has been less than um, less than smooth, but now it's starting to smooth out a little bit more, um, and and that's what it is. The other thing is from what I've noticed is um, LeBron's impact in certain lineups has changed. And and specifically what I mean is um, the, the idea was that if we put Dennis Schroeder in the starting lineup, that his scoring and playmaking would help offload some of the scoring burden for the Lakers at the start of games. And for some games, it has. And so for some games, it hasn't. And so what I've noticed, at least over the past the course of the past 15 or so games where they've had like the 18th ranked offense, is that when the Lakers don't start off well uh, offensively, it's usually LeBron who's who's kind of saving that offense, uh, which is normal, Um, especially with Anthony Davis not playing as well, you know, shooting as well as he did in the bubble. He, He started out hot and out and then before he got injured and sat out, he wasn't shooting that great from three and all that sort of stuff. So LeBron's been exerting a little bit more energy. That doesn't mean that like um, Schroeder isn't making plays or anything like that. It just means that like, he's still having to kind of score at the same sort of workload, attack the rim, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I think what's happening is that last season, the Lakers would go to this lineup in the second half where LeBron would kind of run the floor and he'd set guys up and all that sort of stuff. And what's happened is that um, he used to have a little bit more energy uh, in the sense that because he didn't have to do too much, and he was just, you know, uh, with, with the starting lineup, the starting lineup was okay. Um, when he goes into his second shift, he's gassed. So uh, one of the lineups that the Lakers have run, which they stopped running, which I don't know if they're going to bring back, is the all-forwards lineup. That all-forwards lineup literally runs outside of Montrez, three 3-and-D three guys. So the idea is that LeBron is either going to get to the rim, or he's going to run, pick, and roll, or somebody's going to attack the rim and create for these other three guys. And that lineup has been terrible. It's been super bad. And I think the reason why it's been really bad is because LeBron is is not tired, but like he's he's kind of like not attacking the rim as much with that lineup. And so what's ended up happening is um, they've been bad defensively too. In that yeah, and they, they've been terrible. Yeah, Marquise has not been good rebounding and stuff like that, um, which he was really great at last season. But apparently this season, last you know, game was
0: the first time Marquise looked like the Marquise from last year. Yeah, in the bubble.
1: yeah. So that that lineup has looked bad. So that I think the offense has, has dropped down. But what's been interesting is after that Marquise. Uh, Wes Matthews switched, they got switched out for like Caruso and, and THT. We noticed that the Lakers are getting to the rim a little bit more. The offense looked a little bit better. The defense looked a little bit better. The, the energy was better because they weren't, you know, um, being stifled on offense. LeBron was still kind of still facilitating, picking his spots and stuff like that with that second shift lineup. So I think what's happening with the Lakers' offense specifically is that they're still trying to figure out the correct combinations of players to keep a sustainable offense on the floor. And that is going to be a season-long process. What doesn't help is when Anthony Davis gets hurt uh, and he misses games because that's an important you know, volume score for this team uh, when they try to stagger Braun in and out. And I think that's why their offense hasn't been good. They're still trying to figure out the lineups. And um, some players not being you know, as good as we expected them to be, some guys playing really well uh, in, in, in for these stretches, it's kind of convoluted things a little bit more. And I think moving forward, it's going to be really important for Frank Vogel to find the right combinations of players on a nightly basis to win games. And um, that, that's really what I think it comes down to. I don't think they're a worse offensive team. I think it's just they, they need to work out their Kings. Lakers don't run a five-out offense. It's not a simplified offense where everybody just stands in in, in their designated positions or fills a spot in the, in the designated positions. Um, I actually compare this situation to what, like, what Warrior fans have been complaining about when it comes to Steve Kerr's rotation and, and like, the up-and-down play of Kelly Uber and stuff like that. They do, the Warriors do not run a simplified offense. Nothing about what they do is simplified. Uh, it requires motion. It requires very, very smart cutting. And when they lost Klay Thompson, uh, they lost one of the smartest off-ball cutters, screen users in the NBA. What makes the Warriors so difficult to defend is not the split cut action, not the elevator screens, not the relocation. That's just all great. But what makes them elite, like unguardable, is that Steph and Clay knew how to run off of screens whichever way they wanted. There was no set curl or, or, you know, no down screen pop out. It wasn't set. They get to make that decision, and Draymond would always hit those guys on time. And the reason why the Warriors are having some difficulty is because Kelly Oubre doesn't know how to do that. Uh, Andrew Wiggins doesn't know how to do that. And, and, and that's why they're getting these games where they're up and down, and because it, it, it messes with their synergy. And I think for the Lakers, we're seeing that same issue. We get some lineups that look great, some lineups that don't look great. All of a sudden a lineup that didn't look great all of a sudden looks good against a certain team. So those sort of things are all things you have to work out uh, during the course of the regular season. But I would bet money that a Steph-led team and a LeBron-led team will eventually figure it out as, as the season goes on to a point where they can be competitive. And so that's that's why I think is happening with their offense.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree in terms of like there's no reason to worry Yeah, uh, uh, for, for any reason. I mean, when you have a roster that's got LeBron and Anthony Davis, you know, two of the – you know, the best offensive weapons that we have in this league and you have the number one overall defense, you know, I'd rather be in that position than the opposite, you know, in a position where they're scoring really easily, but you're trying to, you know, fix some of the effort problems that they have. It's like the effort stuff is there with exception of a handful of nights against bad teams. They are defending at an extremely high level and they just need to figure out some stuff on the defensive end. That's a much better predicament to be in. I agree with you that the lineups play a role. Um, uh, I'm a big believer in, you know, uh, you, you and I are going to talk here in a few minutes about the the Laker rotation, but to share a little anecdote, you know, when I uh, when I was playing at Arizona Christian University, I was picking between three schools. I, had, I was an all-conference selection uh, out of my junior college, and I only had one year of eligibility left, so I was picking from only uh, NAIA schools, basically, mm-hmm. because division ones wouldn't touch me as a result of my eligibility situation. And I kind of got my pick of the litter um, to try to, to pick a team. And, I, and so I went for the team that was the best team. Uh, there was this team that had just made a, a, a deep postseason run the previous year and was bringing all their guys back. And uh, it was a team called Arizona Christian University. They had really, really good backcourt. I joined the team. I'm excited. I show up to practice. He recruits another guy who i played with in junior college who was an awesome center he recruits this guy from a d2 out in texas that was awesome all of a sudden we had 11 really good basketball players right right and in a weird way like you know it actually caused a lot of problems throughout the season with everybody's rhythm mm-hmm. because it was so hard to figure out like where your role was in the offense considering the fact that no one was pay- playing over like 22 minutes a game you know, I was starting and playing like 22 minutes a game, you know, so mm-hmm. for 18 minutes of the game, I'm coming in and out of the bench, you know, like there might be a game where, you know, the guy that, the guy whose starting spot I took was literally an all conference player the previous season mm-hmm. uh, at mm-hmm. the same school. Like I, I, and, and so there would be games when he had it going and I just didn't play as much. And, mm-hmm. and you, you'll see that like Wesley Matthews was a starting two guard for yep. the best team in the league last year in the regular season. And now he's borderline out of the rotation. So that sort of thing definitely disrupts things. However, like, I really don't think it's that complicated. I think there are two things that are primarily leading to this, to this problem. For starters, they're defending like crazy, which is mm-hmm. hard, and it takes mm-hmm. a lot of energy. Historically, when you look at it, just go to any player's basketball reference page. In the seasons where they're playing more defense, uh, LeBron's a great example of this. In the season where they're playing more defense, their efficiency tends to lower in seasons yep. where they're coasting on the defensive end their efficiency efficiency seems to skyrocket this mm-hmm. is a big part of the fact that it just takes a lot out of your legs when you're consistently defending at at, at the level you are and i really do think that the lakers cuz the lakers have actually they started amazing on defense they were the best mm-hmm. defense in the league for the first you know month of the season they've been better since then yep. like they're literally continually getting better at defense in the last couple of weeks they've held the atlanta hawks the boston celtics and the Denver Nuggets all below 100 points. That's insane. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're an extremely good defense and it's wearing them out physically to the point where they're struggling a bit on the offensive end. The other part of it, in my opinion, is they're just randomly going through a pretty cold shooting stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I I looked up the numbers earlier today, but in the last uh, 15 games, I think they're 27th in total three pointers made uh, per yeah, game. Yeah, they're pretty.
1: Yeah, it, it it wouldn't hurt them. The the only reason I think somebody somebody messaged me to this, um, they're like, oh, somebody had a Laker fan that messaged me saying. Oh, should we be concerned that their numbers are so they're shooting so poorly over like the past 10 games or something like that? And they, it averages out to like 33%, but obviously with everybody's insane shooting percentages, that's really low. That's near the bottom. Um, The only thing I have to say to that is we just, we're also like almost dead last in um, amounts of amount of threes attempted. Like the Mm -hmm. Lakers just don't take threes similar to like Miami. Miami was a really good three point shooting team, but the, the, um, their identity, their DNA was not to take threes. Their DNA was to get to the rim. And then if they get wide open threes, then make sure it gets into the hands of their best three point shooters. And that's kind of what the Lakers Lakers offense has been. But you're right; the, the, their three point, their wide open shots. I, I think especially against like these, the the overtime games that we went to, like it's been bad. That's not LeBron. I don't think anybody's and, and Wes, You know, not too many guys have been hitting uh, open threes. But that, but that's the issue. Is is like LeBron is the only guy on the roster
0: who's been shooting well as of late. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even when you look at those numbers, like I think I think they were twenty sixth in total made, but they're st- I think they're somewhere right around like fifteen and in t- in three point percentage. I can't yep. remember exactly, but they're not shooting particularly well. And if you take LeBron's shooting percentage, uh, shooting numbers out of that. It looks even uglier, and Mm -hmm. you know something that I talked about at length last year and mentioned to you several times is you know this Laker roster because they defend so well and because LeBron and AD are so good and because LeBron is such a good closer. There's pretty much like three scenarios for the way that Laker games play out. If their role players play poorly, they barely win. Yep. If their role players play pretty well. They win by like 10, 15 points. And if their role players play extremely well, they beat the shit out of you. Like that's the, that's the way that this team has been put together. And in as far as like a glass half full way of looking at it, last year they had several stretches where they didn't shoot particularly well, including Mm -hmm. like a, catastrophically bad stretch of shooting in the bubble in the seating games. Mm-hmm. I think they were in like the below 20% at one point for, for, for several games in a row. Mm-hmm. Like it was in their heads. They couldn't shoot. And then all of a sudden they, they, they literally shot everybody's eyes out in the playoffs. So yeah. like I, that's an important part of it. And then Anthony Davis's struggles is a big part of it as well. Cause he's the mm-hmm. key to unlocking their defense and their, or their offense and their spacing. Yeah. And uh, particularly like, you know, it's funny when you watch a film of Anthony Davis shooting three point shots in the bubble Everything's more compact. Everything is more balanced. Everything is more confident looking in the way that he shot. Like if you watch it, it's kind of actually jarring to look because his release looks a little slower this year. Mm And he just looks like he's struggling a bit with his confidence, particularly at the three-point line. And I, I believe that will eventually work out uh, in the positive uh, uh, direction for the Lakers. But that's a big part of why their their offense has struggled a little bit. And mm-hmm. it, but bottom line, like the, uh, as you and I discussed earlier, you know when you're projecting this team offense isn't anything I worry about right? because-, because as they've dis- as they've shown uh, throughout the last couple of years, they have a clear identity. And when it comes to the playoffs, like there's always a drop off in offensive production from regular season to playoff pretty much for every team. Mm -hmm. But for jump shooting teams, that's more of a drop off than it is for teams that don't rely on that as much. Like a Utah Jazz, for instance, I'm mm-hmm. a little more worried about that translating to the playoffs I'm taking 40-something threes a game yep. and shooting over 40%. That's less likely to happen because in the playoffs, your legs get worn out, it's harder to make jump shots, you tend mm-hmm. to go cold for extended stretches. This is what we see happen to Houston every single year. And, and the Lakers, because they're a physically imposing offensive team, that puts a lot of pressure on the rim. That is something that is less likely to experience the playoff drop-off. And and that's why it's not something that I worry about. But yeah, the reason why they've been struggling combination of just how hard they've been playing defensively and how poorly they've been shooting from the three-point line.
1: Yeah. And and I would say that even if, even if the hypothesis is that they're getting worn out on the defensive part, it kind of makes sense considering the blueprint of our coaching staff and what our head coach kind of preaches, they're getting gassed out from all the defensive conditioning drills. They're basically having to do in these live games And eventually once you're conditioned defensive conditioning and timeliness and and reaction time and all that sort of stuff, which has gotten better because we can use like Montrez as an example of somebody who's gradually gotten better and better on his defensive effort. And as as well as his defensive reads uh, from the beginning of the season, he was completely lost. And now like even like he's playing crunch time Mitch, which I know a lot of Laker fans don't like. I personally don't like it um, either. But, you know, obviously we don't have Anthony Davis and Gasol's a little bit slow, a little bit more slow footed. Um against speedier I mean, guys. I you have to play him now with AD out in the yeah. for sure. Yeah, but he's he's been better. Like he's had he's had moments in games where he's you know just completely stonewalled a guy trying to get to the rim. Or, he's defending uh, a lot better
0: in the last like three, four games than he was the rest of the season. That yeah, the-
1: or, or or he's getting like strips on smaller ball ball handlers and stuff like that. So there's stuff that's happening. Um, but this is defensive conditioning time and that sort of thing. And and I'm 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 on the same page as you. I think there are very um there are hallmarks to a contending team which you can kind of rely on and i'm not sure three-point shooting is one of those hallmarks because like you said in the playoffs once teams know that they're gonna have to play up to seven games they scout out all your stuff they scout out what sets you like to use um good defensive teams they'll scout out everything you like to do so you're not going to be able to get the stuff that you normally like uh, outside of maybe small stretches of basketball where teams have lapses defensively for the most part it's going to come off of base, you know, based off of like transition play. Do you cause turnovers? Do you defensive rebound? Well, that kind of stuff. Um, Is there any variance to your offense or are you always relying on the three ball, the corner three to save you throughout games and stuff like that? So, and, and, and so that's, you know, I I wouldn't stress it now either. Um, But I I think you definitely have a case there that it may be just all the defensive conditioning that they're trying to do. um, That's, that's causing some of the offense to slip.
0: Yeah. And when I look at when I look at explicitly like the kind of things that are going to be important in a playoff series, the the ability to attack particular matchups, I actually really, really like how Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell have added some wrinkles to the way Mm -hmm. that the offense looks in these games. Because if you look at the playoffs last year, almost everything ran through LeBron and AD down the stretch of these Mm -hmm. games. And and ironically, like, you know, uh, if they did both have a bad game, they would lose. You know, that was that was kind of like the idea. And thankfully, because they're both so damn good, it didn't happen very often. But mm-hmm. that was always the risk of of playing the way that they played. Now, when you look at it this year, you know, Montrez and, and Dennis kind of throw some wrinkles in there because Anthony Davis has been struggling. Like mm-hmm. it used to be he threw the ball down to Anthony Davis in the post and he was getting the basket. And there's some. There's some point per possession data that would tell you Anthony Davis is having a great season in post ups, but that doesn't match up with the eye test, particularly right. with the fact that it seems like a lot of times he has to give the ball up because he's not particularly seeing the four very well and some mm-hmm. other things along those lines. But the bottom line is he hasn't been able to be especially productive in terms of overall, um, you know, overall output in in, in that role. Mm-hmm. So what's been nice is like they have these guys who are gifted at attacking matchups, like Dennis Schroeder in particular. I love him when he gets a switch onto a center, he seems to have the ability to get that shoulder past him, his hip and get all the way to the basket. Mm -hmm. And then with Montrez, I, you know, I specifically in, in certain matchups, he's kind of like an automatic basket in the low Mm -hmm. post. Like, you know, when he, would, when he would be isolating against Al Horford, I didn't love it. There was some stuff there where I'd be like, hey, maybe that's not the best matchup for us to attack. But there was a play in, you know, th- there was a play in that uh, last game against OKC where it's like he gets isolated on Mike Mascala and just crosses him out of his shoes and goes and dunks, uh, dunks the yep. uh, dunk ball. In overtime, there was a play where they threw the ball in the post in a mismatch to Darius Baisley. Yep. I remember thinking as I'm watching the game, like, that is an automatic basket. Like yeah. I was literally sitting there thinking, like, oh my gosh, like this is a great, this is a great, uh, a look for us right here. And he went right through him. Uh, Baisley was too skinny to stay in front of him. He just went mm-hmm. right through him to the basket. Like it's hard to, it's hard to quantify how valuable that is, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, as uh, especially if he can, it, it, especially if he can be a net positive or a net even on the defensive end. Which, as you and I discussed, he's been so much better recently, mainly because they have him more operating in space instead of just hovering around the basket.
1: And, and it's uh, the advantage with having Montrez. So I think one of the lineups that we've seen be somewhat successful, um, mainly because AD gets put in the defensive role while Montrez is kind of carrying the offense. Is when they pair those two together, and AD plays the center and he's just kind of defending and stuff like that. But one of the reasons why I like that Matt that tandem a little bit better is because what would happen last season is that when AD would get that left that left hand side block post up, the baseline guy would always be a, a speedy guy, right and the only way that you can counter speed um, is either you have more speed than the person that's out there to, to kind of beat those guys. Um, or you have to have a big burly guy that's, that, that these small guys can't handle. And one of the things that I think the Lakers have done a good job, and I think you're right. I think the wrinkles of Schroeder and, and Montrez, especially in late game situations, has created um, is something that teams are still a year behind. I think teams still expect LeBron to be the guy uh, to to play some hero ball and to some degree he has and same thing with anthony davis to be to be the hero guys um but both lebron especially lebron seems to be a little bit more aware that he needs him he needs to um what's it what's it encourage dennis schroeder to to abuse his matchups or to abuse matchup so so the play that you called uh, so there's two two examples that I, I tried to share on the timeline uh in the boston matchup um schroeder had daniel tice on him and uh, it, it was a switch. Boston was switching everything. And uh, LeBron had Semi Ogilvy or somebody like that on him. And like he could have tried. To, it was it was a five-out. He could have tried to drive on, on Semi Ogilvy. The Lakers are up at like three or four something like that. But they definitely need a basket because Boston was kind of coming back and stuff like that. Momentum was in their side. Uh, Dennis Schroeder calls for the ball back and beats and draws an and-one foul layup uh, on, on Daniel Tice using a short hop floater, which is that Tony Parker special off the wrong foot, same same hand. It's like... You only do that when you know that you, you're probably going to get blocked from behind and you're trying to get that like small edge like uh, on, on the blocker to make it. He makes that. He does it. Um, against OKC, he did the same exact thing. He got a mismatch where he had a speed matchup. He had a speed advantage on his guy. Did the same exact thing. Took Drove right-handed. Took it off the wrong foot. Got a layup. In overtime, that play where Montrez scores over over Baisley, he was trying to go to LeBron to the isolation on Lou Dort. And if you watch that overtime, LeBron takes one shot in that entire overtime. The person, everybody, it was, it was Wes, it was Montrez, it was Schroeder. Nobody, LeBron never shot the ball until that isolation play that I think made rounds on Bleacher Report about Lou Dort uh, defending LeBron and him missing like the game dagger or whatever you want to call it. Um, but he tries to go to, Schroeder tries to go to LeBron for that iso. I, and LeBron gives it back to him. He says, no, no, you go to, you go to Montrez because Montrez has a matchup there. So, like, LeBron's encouraging these guys to be to be like, you guys are more than capable of winning this game without me. You guys are more than capable of winning your matchups without me. You need to start doing that. And I think that bodes well that he's trying to do that, whether it's happening directly or, you know, it's an active conversation or if he's doing it, you know, like kind of passively in the, in the course of the game because that's going to help build confidence for these guys when in the playoffs teams sell out on them, right? When When we see the situation like – the Danny Green missed wide open three. Like We got Danny Green because we were hoping that he would hit that three. It's fine. He didn't. We still end up winning the championship. But those are the moments that these guys need to be prepared for. There will be times where LeBron will get matched up against like an all-defensive caliber guy like Lou Dort. And, and, and OKC is basically running a shell zone, that box zone behind them, because they don't want LeBron to drive on him. They want him to shoot a jump shot. But a guy like Montrez or a guy like Schroeder, who's been an all-defensive caliber player himself, They'll have some sort of small advantage, strength or speed, that they have to take advantage of that because you just have to have some sort of variance. You in these late game situations, it, it, you know, it, as much as we like to, um, as much as we like to think about like basketball in in the Kobe and Jordan era, where it's give it to your best player, he has to shoot this crazy contested shot. That's not how. Le- I, I mean, you you're a Bron guy, like you know, that's not LeBron's like. DNA his DNA is to make the right play find the right matchup do the right thing not that he so can't way, do
0: it real, real quickly what's so funny about that too is like like no I, there was not any talk of the pass to Wesley Matthews for that huge three at the end of right. the game in overtime <laughs> yeah. that was a huge shot if I'm not mistaken yeah. it was less than a minute left he drove into the paint drew help and threw an easy pass out to Wesley Matthews for a three and I remember sitting there thinking right after I was like I was like every single time he does something like that and the guy misses the shot, it's a story. Right. And yet there are so many plays throughout his career, that was just another one, a footnote, but he's done that in the playoffs too. There's so many games in Miami where like he beat the Brooklyn Nets or he'd beat the Boston Celtics by drawing Kevin Garnett mm-hmm. into the paint and kicking to Chris Bosch in the corner for a pivotal shot at the end of a game. And and you know, those those always get swept under the rug with LeBron because it's not as interesting as, right. as, as the fact that he failed doing the exact same thing. But I mean, you know, that, that, as I was watching the game, I was like, that is a huge play that most stars in the league don't make. That was a, that was a play that, you know, and, Wes, and, and it feeds through the whole roster. Like right. these, these guys like Wesley Matthews and Kyle Kuzma uh, and, and all of them are on the floor sitting there thinking like, I might get a shot here. Yeah. And LeBron's going to trust me, and so I need to knock it down. You know, and that that to me is, it's you know, it's kind of like the, uh, uh, the, the 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 dueling approaches to how to close basketball games. But I don't think that there's any argument or any evidence that that's less effective than you know the traditional Michael Jordan way. And there's an argument to be made that it's more effective.
1: Right, and I mean that that last game that we saw um, to kind of put put a you know end statement on this is. There was also a play in that, I think it was in the overtime, where LeBron sets up, you know, he's basically telling Shorter, like, back cut your guy. Like, everybody's frozen defending their guy, and he's literally looking at Shorter saying, back cut your guy, like, I'll get you the ball. Is this and that's the one that got
0: out of bounds? And then... Uh, like, well, I think you, Schroeder like, got a... Yeah, I think he got a layup on one of them, right? Uh, yeah. I, I remember there was a play in overtime where he threw a backdoor cut to Schroeder, and it, it got barely knocked out of bounds, but the Lakers kept possession, and then LeBron, after the play, was like doing some body language stuff with the Schroeder to be like, yeah. oh, we almost got him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Th- there was a play earlier in the game where he did actually hit Schroeder on a back cut for a layup, which is probably why OKC was a little bit on top of it. But that kind of stuff is important. We talk about the guys who are heroic and do all these game winners and stuff like that, but we should also and it's not just specific to LeBron. There's many, many. Jimmy Butler's a great example of a guy who makes the right play at the end of the game to win a game, uh, mm-hmm. even if it means that he doesn't have to shoot. Um, but we have to start thinking about it in that manner. If you watch that play, the one that you're describing, anybody goes and rolls that game back, watch LeBron's drive on that play. He has zero intention to shoot the ball. He knows that all he's trying to do is suck in as many guys as he possibly can so he can, he can find a wide-open three. He's not even looking at the rim when he makes that play. Those things are 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 all important, and um, I think my original point was I think that bodes well for the Lakers that he's trying to embolden his guys to be successful because a he is an old man uh, by basketball standards, Uh, b it is still a long consolidated season, and um, you know I know we're going to talk about his minutes, but like you do want to avoid those minutes stacking up too much. But the fact that these guys are hitting shots in clutch moments. Uh, obviously, we would like to hit them, see them hit it in non-clutch moments, so we don't have to run into these issues. But like the fact that they're able to hit it, there's a, like a positive feedback loop. There's a positive amount of confidence re- uh, reinforcement that comes for these situations. Last season, we knew that we were going to give the ball to Danny Green, and we brought Danny Green on to hit these clutch jumpers. This season, we're hoping that KCP can keep it up. The new guy, West West Matthews, can do it. We're hoping that Kuzma can also be that guy to some degree with some of his shooting that he's been doing. Like and, and same thing with Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder was struggling with his scoring for a decent stretch of basketball so far through these 25 uh, games or whatever. And now he's starting to find his groove again. He was shorting all of his threes that game, all of them. And then what, what happens? Pump fakes one guy in, in overtime, takes his, or maybe in the fourth quarter, takes one step in, and it's like, all right, I'm not taking this three. Takes like a long two, and he makes it. And I was just like, thank God he did that because I was just like, don't chase the three, just chase the best shot, you know, because that's all we need. We don't need threes. So I, I think this stuff all bodes well in the long term, um, and I think it'll help this Lakers team as the season continues on building confidence in these sort of situations um is important i don't like ugly wins, but I like to call them character wins because you find out the character of your team uh if they're gonna fight through uh, uh these sort of these sort of like battles at the end mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I agree and uh, the, uh i'm I'm one of those uh, I'm a big believer in the fact that you know if there's a silver lining to what happened in the last three games it's the it's the, the reps, the, the clutch mm-hmm. reps that give you the confidence in those moments. Like LeBron having a really good clutch season to this point to me makes me feel like when he gets into these moments in the playoffs, he's going to have that confidence back to, to feed, uh, to feed off on. It reminds me a lot of Kobe in the late 2000s where like mm-hmm. he was always a good cl- clutch player, but he was almost at another level in clutch situations in the late 2000s just because of the sheer amount of success that he had had and what he could lean back on in terms of his confidence. Um, so I think I'm probably going to end up disagreeing with you on this rotation stuff because, so when we were talking about what we were going to talk about today, you had said that you wanted to talk about how we can get Wes and Marquis back in the rotation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of of the persuasion that you shouldn't get them back in. And mm-hmm. the, the reason why I feel that way is, uh, kind of like what I shared earlier with the anecdote from when I was playing at Arizona Christian, you know, uh, it, it, makes it infinitely harder for the, uh, for the rest of the players on the roster to get into a rhythm and I think, uh, let's be honest, like, you know, when it comes to the the front court between Kuzma and LeBron and uh, and Marcus Saul and Anthony Davis, there's just not as much of a need for Marquise. Now with AD out, you need him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are just better options in that regard. And I know he did play really well against OKC the other night, particularly defensively. He had a couple of really nice defensive plays against Horford at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't been great overall this season. And then as far as Wesley Matthews goes, I actually love the way he plays, and I think he's a great fit. However, uh, he is a professional, and he he can handle it in a way that, you know, KCP is a little bit more hot and cold with the way his confidence Mm -hmm. works. Plus, I think he's a better player. Uh, You know, Caruso, you absolutely have to play him. You know, Talon Horton Tucker there appears to be something there something that could be dangerous mm-hmm. in uh, in a good way in the playoffs so you almost have to keep feeding that mm-hmm. and and you can look Wesley Matthews in the face and and to Frank's credit he's been upfront with these guys he didn't just mm-hmm. show up and say I'm not playing you like he told them he, he sat them down and said just so you guys know I'm taking you out of the rotation so that we can get more minutes for our core nine guys mm-hmm. and and uh, Wesley Matthews has been on the record like Frank handled it like a pro and mm-hmm. what I would say is you know, knock on wood. You know, chances are they're going to remain heavily involved as a result of load management for Anthony Davis and various injuries. Anyway, like Alex Caruso has shown a tendency to get banged up every once yep. in a while, so they're going to get to play. Mm-hmm. So I think it's better to just you know, like, like the only thing that made me a little nervous was Marquise and his comments about how like, I, thought, oh, well, I yeah. played in the playoffs. So why am I not playing now? Well, it's like. Well, uh, Dwight and JaVale were bad, so they got taken out of the rotation. And now we have Montrez, who's actually playing in these situations. There's not as much minutes available for you. I'm sorry. Like, that's just harsh
1: realities. and, and, and and, And the biggest difference, I think, is that Kuzma's improved rebounding is better than even Marquise rebounding. Like, one of the things that we could always count on was even if Marquise wasn't hitting threes, he was like that bruiser. Like he would be the guy that would fight for the tough defensive rebound, even if you're undersized and stuff like that. And what we've seen is Kuzma is the guy who's doing that this season. And one of the most noticeable things for me has been that when you have an undersized center like Montrez, when he has to when he has to box out guys that are like Ivika Zubac and, and, and Nikola Jokic and all these sort of guys, it takes all of him to do that. That means that he can't box somebody out and grab the rebound at the same time. And last season, Marquise was doing a good job of being that guy, uh, of of being the guy who, um, if Anthony Davis was occupied trying to box somebody out, he would come in and he would grab that defensive rebound, make the quick outlet pass, Lakers get out in transition. He hasn't been doing that this season. He's been really lazy um when it comes to that part. I don't know if Vogel's told him that. Uh I would I would think that a smart basketball player, and I think Marquis probably kind of knows this. He just took the opportunity to say what he did. Like you would see on tape, like we're watching you not box guys out, you know, like that's like at bare minimum what we he wasn't moving game. his
0: feet and rotating super well either. Like Marquis yeah. was legitimately having a bad season before. Yeah.
1: That. And yeah. He wasn't and s- shooting the ball particularly well. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the way I see it is it's maybe this was sort of that moment, um, you know, uh, him actually getting bench or Vogel showing, this is like a Nick nurse thing. This is an Eric Spolster thing. Like if you're not playing well, I got to put you to the bench. Like I, to some degree, this is a meritocracy. We're not just going to keep playing you because you're terrible. Um, As a Laker fan thinking about our coaching staff, I'm kind of glad that they did it because I don't want anybody feeling that they're comfortable in the positions they have, you know, in in their roles and stuff like that. Um, There's an expectation that you should be a professional. Uh, I understand Anthony Davis taking time off. I understand LeBron taking time off. Nobody else needs to take time off unless you're you're injured or something like that because there are guys like Taylor Horton Tucker who would love to take your spot, even if it means that they only get to play six to eight minutes uh, a game. Uh, or, or whatever minutes they play. So um, I think there was a basketball reason why he wasn't getting played. I understand his frustrations. I don't think he's going to rock the boat because I don't know how many teams will look into him um, and give I think him serious. They, I
0: think, think they'd cut him pretty quick if that became an issue, but I doubt that will yeah. become an issue. Yeah, um, so I yeah. He, did,
1: he did finish his statement saying that I'll do whatever it, you know whatever it takes to win a championship, so I'm fine with it. So I, I think he was just, he was being his normal self, being outspoken, but at the same time, trying to be a professional at the end of it. Yeah.
0: And I get it. Like, I mean, like uh, guys who are wired like that, that are super competitive, it's hard to, to handle that. But I mean, the, the bottom line is, is like, they're going to the, the, I would imagine that even in the case where the, the Lakers are completely healthy, there will be matchups where, you know, Marcus Saul not playing well. Yes. Montrez's lack of spacing is hurting the team where, you know, Markeith is going to get his opportunity. And then Wesley Matthews without a doubt is going to get an opportunity. Plus like Wesley Matthews is going to be a huge guy to play in a clipper series because of his ability yes. to guard, to guard Kawhi Leonard. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all. And was that you know, particular such a pro?
1: You know what would solve this issue? If the Lakers stop, stop playing down to their competition, if they actually played <laughs> the kind of basketball that we expected them to play, there would be enough minutes for everybody. The reason we're stuck with nine, nine man rotations is because we get too many lapses in, in defense and stuff like that or our offense uh, when mm-hmm. we, we stretch out to 11. So if everybody does their job, there's there's minutes available for everybody. Um, but but or or if they make their shots, you know, if they make their threes. But if if we're not, then this is the kind of stuff that happens.
0: For sure. And and so this is a perfect segue to uh to our uh, our last topic. We uh probably won't have time to touch on other teams today, but we'll get to that some other time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had mentioned controlling LeBron's minutes, and you know, uh his minutes are inflated by the fact that they just played four overtime periods over the last three games. So that's like that's that's 20 uh 20 minutes that's been thrown into the mix. Now his minutes were up uh considerably from where they started the season. He was I think he was around like 33 minutes per game, 34 minutes per game before yeah. this week. So he was playing uh a relatively heavy minutes, but I'm not I'm not necessarily concerned about his minutes as it pertains to wear and tear uh because of the lack of practice time Mm -hmm. and i think lebron takes care of his body in a way where as long as he doesn't do you know 20 extra minutes of overtimes every week that that's not going to be a problem i'm a huge believer though in managing like the nagging pains and injuries and things like that so for instance like if lebron started to feel knee tendonitis if lebron like if lebron is going into a game and he's experiencing pain in one of his joints mm-hmm. that's where i think it's it's time to take him out of the lineup for a game or two to manage that but as far as like going into a week and thinking oh we have four games let's cut back on lebron's minutes i don't necessarily agree with that because of the fact that with the lack of practice time and with the way he takes care of his body he's easily capable of managing that but like nagging injuries those are the things that i think matter more uh, than than strictly minutes per game as a as a box score stat, especially since they p- play at such a low pace, yeah. Uh, that it's not as like frenetic and up and down, and even when the Lakers
1: get out in transition, LeBron's primarily a passer,
0: yeah, uh, uh, from the backcourt.
1: Yeah, I, I would say after the the experience last season of of watching LeBron. Post, um, uh, or just kind of in-game load manage uh, as the season progresses. When I kind of started, because I don't, you know, obviously I haven't watched him as intimately as some some other folks have. Like I started noticing where he would be—not passive, but he's more facilitator Lebron. Which is, I'm not really going to drive. I'm just going to kind of move the ball, really pick my spots. Maybe if we're all running, breaking out in transition, and it's like an advantage number situation, or like a three on two, four on three, that sort of thing, um, is where he would kind of do what he does. But he's been very selective of his spots, I would say, this season, more than I would say even last season, where even if it means that the Lakers are going to lose the game and he's going to start shooting a bunch of home run threes, which then, you know, Lakers Twitter is going to be very upset about and be like, you know, why is LeBron going to the That We're going to take the loss. Like, we're not going to chase the win like by by burning ourselves out uh, in, in through the course and of the season. that's how you get banged yeah. up. Is yeah. Like, yeah. The, 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 that sort of
0: like super fit. Like, with Dort in particular, like, LeBron can handle a guy like Dort in a, in a playoff series. If he's willing to back him down and take him into the post, he
1: just, I think he just literally looks at the situation and goes like, not worth it tonight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and, and look, you've played competitive basketball. If you've ever played any sort of competitive basketball, there's also a temperature check that you get as it relates to how the refs are calling the game. So if LeBron wants to attack the rim, but the temperature check that he's getting from the refs is they're not even making the 50, 50 calls in my favor. I'm not going to stress myself over it. This is not a meaningful win uh, by, by any margins. Obviously as a fan, you want to see these guys, but this is not NBA 2K, right? Like th- there's actual fatigue. There's injury concerns. There's worse things that can happen if you try to push yourself too hard. Um, and and the perfect example of that is uh, Alex Caruso. Everybody keeps saying Alex Caruso should play like 32 minutes. But if you see the style of defense he plays, he is always going to be prone to getting hurt. Like I, I keep jokingly tweeting after every game. Almost every single game, there is a Laker who gets hit in the face. Every Mm. single game. And that happens when you're playing, like, crazy-ass defense. Like, Mm. KCP keeps getting elbowed in the face. Last game, Montrez went to go defend somebody, and the guy's elbow, like, you know, he got elbowed in the face trying to defend the rim. Like, injuries happen to to really great defensive players because they go great. The the, the elite guys, the ones that don't necessarily have all the physical intangibles, like a Kawhi or somebody may, may do, those guys do technical stuff that can lead to injuries. And the reason why Caruso can't get 35 minutes unless you know it's like a playoff situation or something, is because he keeps getting hurt. And we don't want to lose him for like weeks and weeks of time. So like
0: I don't necessarily want to to play 35 minutes. I don't want him to play 17 minutes though, either. Right, like, but I, it, I think like, it's reasonable to be like, hey, let's play him half a game.
1: No, no, like, for sure, for sure. I, I I just think the the analytics Part of NBA, the the the, the data guys on, on, on NBA Twitter. I, I think you're right. I think like 20, 25 minutes is is like a really good number if he's a change-of-pace guy and that sort of thing. But I think people do this thing where they see that small number and they go, Why don't we just keep doing more of this, keep doing more of this, keep doing more of this? Without considering the human element of it.
0: Right? Yeah, his defense like, would slip if he if he took a big contract after this year and went to go be a 30-minute per game guy for like the Cleveland Cavaliers, like his right. his his defensive production is going to slip. Like that's right.
1: Yeah. So, so I I do agree when people say, Hey, we should play Caruso in these situations a little bit more because we really need this kind of defense or we need this kind of intangible stuff. But you know um, with LeBron uh, I I think this season and I, 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 that's why I don't complain about it so much this season is it seems like he's very, very aware that last game is a perfect example in overtime. LeBron did not shoot the ball. There was like eight shots, nine shots before he even attempted a shot. uh, the, The one over Lou Dort, he had, Specifically decided in his mind, I'm not going to try and go and, and, and score every single play down. Even though it's this is an overtime game, I'm going to give it to Schroeder, West, Trez. If we make them, we make them. We don't and make were them. We them don't. on the floor. Like right. I think
0: that's part of it too. Like I think it's something that Dame could have done a little bit better last night. Yes. Is understanding that like, hey, I'm Dame Lillard. I'm one of the ten best players in the world. I know that if I really need to, I can get a decent shot off over Ben Simmons. Right, but. Ben's doing a good job on me. I'm fatigued a little bit right now. Yeah, Carmelo's got a better matchup over Tobias, and he's got a rhythm going. Yep. Like maybe this is the move. And that, that, I think that's LeBron's thing. Is like I can really try to bully Dort and get into the basket if I want to. Yeah. However, Montrez is being guarded by a six nine guy who's one hundred and eighty pounds. <laughs> right. So I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to, and, and just because it's easier. And right. and at the end of the day, he cares more about the win than he does about how you know whether or not he put up ten points in overtime.
1: You know. Yeah, and I mean, we watch the game, so we can talk about Schroeder and Montrez and all that sort of stuff. But look at what what well, look at what the general conversation was about on the timeline afterwards, right? The highlights were Lou Dort's defense on LeBron on one on one play on the right. shot he took an overtime. Yeah. Right, exactly. But if you watch that game, LeBron was being very selective with his offense. He was trying to make sure that he got added advantage matchups for his teammates. Um, and that, look, I'm not going to be mad at Bleacher Report. Their job is to get engagement. So they're going to do stuff that gets engagement and anti-LeBron stuff gets tons of engagement on Twitter. So it's cool. Um, but as it relates to his load management, the minutes increase, I would like to see those numbers come down, but that means that the rest of the team has also got to step up. They've got to make their shots. We can't be going through these crappy offensive stretches and stuff like that. Uh, but at the same time, you're absolutely right. Uh, LeBron, nobody knows their body better than LeBron. And if it means that he looks bad in, in in the national conversation because he's not giving the effort, and that means that he stays healthy, I'm all right with that because I know what's on the other side of this conversation, which is competing for a championship. So I, I don't mind the short-term arguments and the short-term complaining and the short-term criticism uh if it means that he's healthy for the playoffs because it's very tough to beat that guy in seven games uh when he's healthy
0: it reminds me of 2018 where you can almost like you can see he seems to have decided he's playing every game (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. it's in it's definitely like a thing now and i think he understands like we talked about at the beginning how how that impacts his uh uh you know imprint on the mvp race But, but yeah like i said it's just about it's just about uh Uh, kind of listening to your body. Like, you know, I, you know, I've been trying to get back in shape uh, recently, because I've found access to basketball that I didn't have, uh, you know, as as recently as two or three months ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I first got into it, I was uh, every single day uh, doing some sort of of workout, playing basketball three times a week. And then even in the off days, I would do cardio, just keep it low impact. And like, you know, this week, I've been dealing with some nagging pains in my ankle and in my (laughs) shoulder. So, you know, this week, I've, you know, I haven't done as much of those other things. I just try to listen. You just listen sure. to your body and, and, and yeah. try to read it from that perspective. But, you know, uh, 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 you know, he, he, no one knows it better than him. And, uh, at the end of the day, like, like I, we, I think we all are aware that, uh, 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 if it, if push comes to shove and LeBron needs to go take a rest, he's going to. He's going to. Yeah, and, and it's, sure. it's just not going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, thank you so much for taking over an hour to, and longer if you count our little chat earlier. But uh, but to come and hang out today, uh, all of you who listen, thank you guys so much for your support. Vinay, let's uh, hook up in another couple weeks or so and, uh, yeah, for and sure. talk some more Lakers. Try to make
1: try to save some time for something else. Other than- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they hey, look. I don't know why everybody's talking about MVP stuff because the ball looks really great in Charlotte. Houston's playing much better. Steven Silas, who's getting a lot of crap from the analytics guys uh, on NBA Twitter has got a pretty competent team, competitive team that's out there with a bunch of mishmash parts. People keep talking about Bradley Beal's body language, but they're not talking about like the other basketball, like the Warriors up and down. Like I know Warriors fan base is big on Twitter. There are There are markers where they're getting better and better. Like, A lot of people yesterday were complaining that, like, oh, you don't know Juan Toscano Anderson's name. Like, and they're getting mad at Bleacher Report. It's like, dude, talk more about him. Talk about Hmm. how he looks better than the $15 million guy that's come to, you know, like, come to play and stuff like that. Everything doesn't need to devolve into, like, whatever national media. It doesn't have to be about MVP stuff. There's so much great basketball happening. And I think that um, the fact that we have so many guys that are shooting, like, out of their minds right now is is nuts. This is the pure hooper environment, right? Which is what everybody was saying uh last season. This is a pure hooper environment and we're seeing the guys that can really score, really score and I think we're it's taking it that, to another level. Yeah, man, we it, it's we've as basketball fans, we have to enjoy it. We have to really admire it because we may not see this ever again. If all these shooting percentages drop when the fans come back, this was a very special time where we saw like the best of the best. Um Really show out. So
0: I don't necessarily think it'd be the fans. I think it'd be the other distractions that would come with the. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, they, yeah. They, there's oh, yeah. no travel distractions either. So yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean,
0: uh, but anyway, yeah, we uh, we will try to make more time for that next time. But as always, man, I appreciate you uh, coming to hang out. Um, and as for everybody else, uh, uh, stick around next Tuesday or so is probably the yeah. next time we'll do one. But I'll uh, just stay tuned on my Twitter page, and I'll keep you guys updated. Also. Uh, Vinay, you want to plug your guys' podcast real quick?
1: Uh, yeah, so I, I co-host uh, Laker Central uh, with the actual host and, and the owner of Laker Central, uh, Alex. Um, so you can find them at, you can find his account at Laker Central. Uh, and then I'm only on Twitter. You can just find me at vkillum. Um I do writing for uh, my newsletter, which nobody needs to worry about. And I do writing for other guys, uh, elite media group guys. They let me write about other teams that are non-Laker stuff. But uh, yeah, it's about it. You can just find me on Twitter. That's about it.
0: All right, guys, uh, the podcast will be up shortly in about 20 minutes on my podcast feed as well. Everybody enjoy the rest of your weekend and I'll see you next week.